0: Welcome to Beyond Medicine. My name is Rami Webby. I'm the host of the podcast. I'm a physician with a particular interest in healthcare innovation, building a better healthcare experience, and overall health and well-being. In this podcast, we bring you inspiring leaders from across the medical landscape to help us build a better medicine and lead a better life. We hope you enjoy Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Tim Spector, Professor of Genetic Epidemiology at King's College of London and also director of the Twins UK study. Dr. Tim is a world-leading researcher. He's also an author of books, one, The Diet Myth, and two, his new book, Spoonfed. Dr. Tim is also a co-founder at Zoe, a new health science company, which we talk about in this episode. And he's an all-around cool guy, uh, has a wealth of knowledge, and I really enjoyed talking with Dr. Specter. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Before we get into the episode, I want to shout out our partners at Podium or Podium.com. Podium is an SMS messaging platform, which is basically making the interaction between your consumer, your client, or your patients way easier. I met Todd over the partnerships program through a space that I work at, and we actually got to talking about how Podium Is really making the experience so much better for patients. Number one, because it's just a simple messaging platform that patients can text right through their regular text message app. You know, like there's no app you have to download, it's just straight through text, direct to the doctor, to the business owner, or whoever it is. They have a healthcare vertical, which they are expanding into. And I'm obsessed with this platform because I see the potential for it to make the experience so much better for patients. Think about your 70 or 80 year old patient who doesn't really know how to use technology that well, whos you know, just doesn't want to download the next app. Uh, Podium is making it so they can communicate with you as their physician directly. You get a very simple to use portal. Everything is te- you have templates. You have a very organized way of accessing all of your patients or your clients. And it's really a platform that's applicable across so many sectors, but especially healthcare. So I just want to point this out. And actually, Podium, you can actually sign up for free. Uh, They have agreed to partner with us and created our own little code or way to get you guys to sign up for free and use their app for free. So you can check it out at Podium.com forward slash beyond. Once again, it's Podium.com forward slash B-E-Y-O-N-D. Welcome, everybody. I'm with Dr. Tim Spector today. Dr. Tim, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm excited to learn about all that you're doing right now, uh, specifically with the company that you had just mentioned pre-interview. And uh, I'll let you go ahead and take a couple of minutes to just give a background on what you're doing um, and what the future is in your line of work. Thanks very much. Yes, so I am a
1: a reformed clinician, I used to be a rheumatologist, and uh, then went back to epidemiology, did genetics, and about 30 years ago set up the UK Twin Registry, where we have 14,000 twins, which we've been looking at how similar identical twins are compared to non-identical twins, and doing nature-v-nurture experiments, going through discovering lots of genes with GWAS, and then moving through epigenetics. And it was really only the last sort of 10 years that I got interested in why identical twins end up being so different. Why they often die of different diseases, get different cancers, get different autoimmune diseases, and why one might be overweight, the other one skinny, one depressed, one happy, et cetera. And I initially thought I could explain this with epigenetics and realized that that didn't give us all the answers i was looking for and came across the gut microbiome which did seem to uh, tick all the boxes and so from that moment on about 10 years ago i've really been uh, my, got myself and my research group at king's college london really focused on this and trying to use the gut microbiome using genetic sequencing techniques etc to help us understand both how we interact with our food and how that food microbiome and health all interact. And on on this journey, uh, I helped co-found a company called Zoe uh, limited that are based in London and Boston, doing large scale studies of thousands of people, giving them identical foods, looking at their metabolic responses to really find out that everyone is unique. And that journey has has led us to amazing discoveries, realisation that these differences are much bigger than anything we believed before. There's no such thing as Mr. or Mrs. Average. And the results are that we can actually have a commercial product that people can use at home and do an at-home experiment, if you like, in a way that would have been completely impossible just a few years ago. So the idea you can get sent a whole packs of food and glucose monitors and pinprick testing and a microbiome kit and start to work out your own, uh, how your body reacts to food in a way you wouldn't really have imagined before. So that's really been the, the journey. And I wear multiple hats, and uh, I'm not ashamed of being someone who does cover many different disciplines and specialties. And the last year, I've been caught up with the COVID uh, pandemic because the same company, Zoe, helped us build an app that has been used by four and a half million people in the UK, US, and Sweden, recording their symptoms uh, and risk factors, etc., for covid and helping us get a huge amount of of data out there to help governments and health services
0: that's incredible and it's a really fascinating background that you have I'm, i'm i've also always been really curious about twin studies or at least just identical twins and how two identical twins can even have such different personalities and then like you mentioned um risk factors, diseases, things of that, like, what was it, was there anything specific that got you into that, uh, like that fascinated you to get into that line of work when you first started learning about twins?
1: I got into it by chance really, because I just finished my, um, uh, my thesis and I was looking for something new to do. I'd done that on hormones and, and arthritis. And I just took a while to think about what I should do and, stumbled into a bar in Oxford and met a geneticist who, after a few beers, said, why don't you do some twin studies? No one in this, <laughs> no one in the country doing twin studies. It's crazy. You should do it. And, yeah. Yeah. And uh, this crazy idea ended up being my life. So and it, it was just a, a missed opportunity. I, I, I've always been an opportunist. And mm-hmm. I, I basically always thought they were super cool. The twin studies uh, in epidemiology. And you know everyone can understand a twin study. You know if identical twins are more similar than non-identicals, well, it's got to be genetic. You know it's yeah. even uh, the biggest dummy in maths can work that out. So um, yeah. it really appealed, and, and it, it it's allowed me just by studying twins to study hundreds of different diseases using the, exactly the same methods, and always having this perfect natural experiment to work with, where which you could only otherwise get in a in a lab animal uh by yeah. you know cross mating them etc to get this uh this amazing uh group of people and they've, they've been you know tremendous volunteers and we don't even pay them in the uk so they just do it all for free oh, wow. uh to help science and uh and medicine
0: that's great nobody does anything for free in the u.s yeah i know
1: don't, don't right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's uh it's really fascinating um were you did you have a hypothesis in mind when you went into this twin study of like what you thought you were going to find out and then what you actually discovered in your work?
1: Well, I went into this in the early nineties, so it seems you know prehistory to you probably. But um, at that time, most people thought uh, the only diseases that were genetic were really rare, sexy diseases like lupus or. Um, some uh, rare conditions uh, that hadn't been really studied, but they knew a few families of them and they that worked it out that way. And they thought that anything that was common uh, was just due to old age and genes would play a very minor part. So at that time, they thought cancer was much more likely to be genetic than, say, back pain. And the first few years was actually showing that, all the old age-related diseases were in fact highly uh, genetic, and that, for example, osteoarthritis and back pain were more uh, heritable than breast cancer. And mm. it was changing those opinions and, and getting people interested in these so-called ageing diseases that had also had genetic components. That was the really the first 10 years of what we did. It was reversing some of these, these myths about disease. And then the next... 10 years was discovering genes and using GWAS um, in it, along with other big, big groups uh, doing things at scale. And that's where we learned to do it at scale. And then it was after that, that I started to get more interested in this, the difference between identical twins, why ident- you know, why identical twins ended up with different diseases when they're essentially clones of each other. What, and, and it's, obvious really, but it must have been something in the environment that was different. And the most modifiable environment we have is our diet. And suddenly we got the the gut microbiome, this community of uh, trillions of, of organisms inside us that are very different to each other. Uh, We all have a unique set and that uniqueness is true even in identical twins. So that means that they, although they're genetic clones in the human cells, the microbes and our chemical factories pumping out all kinds of very different chemicals uh, that that change, you know, what's going on in their metabolism in their body. And I think this really was a bit of an aha moment for me uh, and said, well, if identical twins are different, what about people like you and I? And, you know, why are we all being given the same nutritional advice? Why is every patient we, we see, we say, oh, you just do this and this and this and you'll be fine. And patients come back and they say, well, I did that and it didn't help me lose weight at all. I, I gained weight, you know, and, and you end up with this sort of fight saying, well, you can't have done it properly. I'm the doctor here. Um, and, you know, we've just been doing it so wrong. And once you realise that, then all these myths become obvious. And that's where I started writing these books, The Diet myth and more recently, Spoonfed, to try and get to the bottom of some of these myths that I was taught at medical school and how we can dispel it. And that journey has been fascinating for me. And certainly, you know, I, I learn things every week and in a way, bust another myth, uh, uh, which, is, which is great fun, really. And realizing that probably nutrition, which I regard as probably the most boring uh, bit of medicine, you could possibly envisage uh, is probably now most exciting.
0: Mm. So, so the environment, so there's this whole, you know, it's been around forever nature versus nurture um, the environment of what is, what is the environment? I guess when we think about it, I know nutrition is a major part of the environment, but do you, did you, did you also look at other parts of what we call environment? in terms of how it you know, affects outcomes uh, between twins? No, we've looked at
1: everything. So th- these people are probably the most well-studied people on the planet. We, mm-hmm. uh, we've spent about $50,000 on each person now in uh, genetic testing, pro- proteomics, epigenetics. Uh, they've all completed at least 20 questionnaires. They're coming for full bot whole body uh, scans and DEXA scans. So we know everything about them. And obviously we, we had a broad brush approach. We didn't go in with a hypothesis. We said, let's just look at everything we can collect and see what the answer is, which is not something that uh, funding bodies like if you've ever applied for a grant, they hate, they hate that, but actually it's, that's what gives us unexpected answers. And we we looked at exercise, we looked at cigarette smoking, alcohol, you know, all all the usual exposures, and we even started to look at environmental toxins like lead levels and um, uh, other other pollutants as potential causes of differences. And all, all of them have some difference on on the on the twin model, but the one that seems to have the biggest one is uh, explained by the by the gut microbes um, but as well i think the other major one apart from the gut microbes is your choice of spouse mm. uh,
0: i guess yeah that one definitely
1: uh, you know <laughs> so you've got two identical <laughs> twins and uh, the spouses they pick you know particularly if it's uh female twins picking male partners uh traditionally in the past the male would decide you know what he wanted to eat and um we get these very big differences depending on the, you know, the, the dietary preferences of the spouse, uh, how they, that changed the health of the original twin. But there's, there's many anecdotes and stories like that.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, I'd love to get into those, um, two specific points later on, uh, specifically how you, when choosing a spouse, I can see in a million ways how that affects your, your health, your well-being, um, The most important decision and, uh, of your life.
1: That's right for many reasons.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard that multiple times. <laughs> uh, that's why I'm taking my time right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's go. Let, let's start with microbiome though, because I think that's uh, I think that's where a lot of the growing knowledge is right now, and it sounds like um, what you're most passionate about at this time. Um, so how does the microbiome, uh, you know? So you mentioned that this was probably the biggest contributor? Yes, in terms of
1: the differences between identical twins, we couldn't find anything else that was so different uh, as the species and strains we found in their guts. Everything else was very similar.
0: Can we dive a little deeper into that and just... You know, kind of like explain um, how that how that is, why that is, um, and how it affects our genes. Also, well, when
1: us or even twins are born, we're born sterile, so we acquire our gut microbes through generally our, our mother and the messy messy bits during childbirth, unless you delivered by cesarean section, where you'd get them from whoever which nurse picked you up uh, and from their skin Uh, but you acquire it over the next few days and then it builds up um, in a way over the next three years until it becomes more stable and that becomes your key set of microbes so in everybody there's a bit of randomness at first about what those microbes are depending on your proximity to your mother whether you're breastfeeding you know whether you get antibiotics all this kind of stuff so there's lots of early life events that also that do uh, play a role in your, in your composition of your gut microbes. And then of course, they're, they're like, every time you get some infection or you might travel to India and get ill or South America or whatever it is, there's a little message of that inside that's left inside your gut microbes that changes it. And of course, your choice of foods, whether you're vegan or vegetarian, whether you uh, like spicy foods, and, and your range also reflect your gut microbes. So it is, it's dynamic, it will change day to day, but there's a core of it that does seem to reflect your, your unique um, environment. And that's, that's why we are so different. But we know that all kinds of medicines you take can interfere with your gut microbes, whether it's a simple PPI or it's antibiotics or it's metformin they will all change the composition of the gut microbes. So that's why it's not surprising that individuals and twins have very different gut microbes and that there is a small genetic component to it, uh, but that's really, you know, as much as I tried to find it, it, it's really quite small indeed, and only affects certain species. Uh, large amounts of them are not unaffected at all by the genes of the host. But we do think there's a interaction between the gut microbes and the host genes, and they send chemical signals to each other, short-chain fatty acids, uh, for example, can switch genes on and off across the gut layer, and it's basically, the, it's like discovering we've got a new organ in our bodies, this gut microbiome. But I, I like to think of it more as a, a chemical factory that is producing thousands of chemicals that the body can't produce and in a way of linking our nutrition to our immune system, our mental state, our health, and alertness and metabolism.
0: Interesting. Um, I'm always so fascinated like, with how very little we're taught in medicine about any of this. Like, This has never been – very little has been taught in medical school about microbiome about the interplay of nutrition and health, uh, epigenetic, all these things, you know, it's like, you have, to, obviously we have to keep up with all of this on our own as medical professionals. Um, but I've, I've, over the years, I've talked with several people on microbiome and there's always so many new discoveries that we're finding out around our gut microbiome around nutrition. Um, <clears throat> how do we, how do we get to a, I mean, how do we help people understand that this is a fundamental part of your health and well-being? and that, you know, if you can, you mentioned something earlier about personalized medicine and how this ties into microbiome a little bit. How do you, how do you, how do you see like the average everyday person um, understanding their microbiome and and creating uh, ways to creating a more personalized approach to um, create a healthier microbiome, which in turn creates a healthier human being. Like, is there, where's the connection there?
1: Well, you're right about us medical professionals knowing virtually nothing about this subject, but we also generally are taught virtually nothing about nutrition either. Uh, I'm sure most medics, on both sides of the pond know much more about scurvy than they do about the causes of obesity. Uh, and yet we're never gonna see a case of scurvy, but it's a nice biochemical model that gets taught in the same slide set every year. It's an easy multiple choice question. It's a perfect, exactly. Uh, but but you know, we know nothing on, on really uh, about obesity, which is the number one problem in the US. And I think this comes down to this isn't, you know, there's no medical specialty, really medical nutrition, No specialty has taken it under its hat. uh, And for historical reasons. So I think we've got a big job in either creating a new specialty or getting it more mainstream before people take it seriously. And, you know, it could be that maybe gastroenterologists suddenly do take the microbiome under their wing and say, okay, this is, it's in the colon, so let's call it ours. And, you know, But really they've got to start to treat it like a new organ that you teach everyone about. And you know, we learn a lot about the spleen, but it's not very useful, you can do without it. But you know, why do we learn about this much more about the gut microbiome and start having this conversation and spreading that word through our whole education system so that everybody knows about microbes, how we need to preserve them. Because it's in a way, what's happening in our bodies is also a microcosm of what's happening in the planet. Uh, Everything we talk about how to do, keep our gut microbes healthy, is also the same for our soil microbes or the, the general microbes in all animals, uh, and that reflects on the planet. So I do think we we just need to, you know, snap medicine out of its stupor. It doesn't like new trends generally. It, it thinks they're going to go away and that oh that's a fad you know, you just read it on the internet, you know, I didn't do it in med school, therefore it it, it doesn't count. And I think we've got to pick this up because the general public are often better informed than than their doctors on this. And uh, that, you know, and that starts to get worrying because you get a disconnect between what's going on. So I think it's getting this as a mainstream discussion, not a specialist one, and getting people talking about it, about their microbes. And I think the more people that get tested, in the same way that Twenty Three and Me, maybe uh, not everyone agrees with it, but you know at least it, it it did a great job in educating the public about genes and how easy it is to do. And I think we can do the same with the gut microbes. Get everybody tested now. It's this, exactly the same methods. It's just tougher, but the prices are going to come down, and everyone will start comparing their microbes. I mean. I did mine recently, you know, again, it was part of the Zoe package. And I've got this huge amounts of this parasite in me called blastocystis. And a few years ago, I said, my God, I've got to go and see someone to get rid of that. Uh, I don't want lots of blastocystis in me. turns out a third of Americans also have blastocystis, and it's related to having lower visceral fat and better metabolic response to food. So actually, I want more blastocystis, please. Uh, give me a blastocystis yogurt. You know, this is what I want. So you know, the science is moving really fast, and I just think the public want, want to be kept abreast of it and, and keep up to date and you know, how it reacts with it with, it, with drugs and you know, it's informing us, you know we, we're told to pop PPIs for heartburn, told there's no side effects, but it, there are because it affects your gut microbes. It doesn't defend you, you know. It's it's bad when it comes to infections. So, all this kind of stuff has got to be mainstream, and we've got to start doing it from both ends, trying to educate the doctors, but also I think through, you know, more more doctors encouraging people to take uh, home kit tests and not being repelled by that thought that they're all quacks and uh, you know it's all nonsense. Um, if you know if if you, you know, they're working with companies that, like the one I work with, you know, publish in Nature and, uh, and, other, and other journals like that, that are very serious um, in the science. So I think it's, it's both directions, getting the public more interested in it, getting them testing themselves, but, you know, knocking a few heads at the top to say, hey guys, you know, this, is, this is, isn't gonna go away, and you've got to take this seriously. This is a source of many new treatments. Um, we're doing work with on immunotherapy for melanoma, and there are clear differences in the gut microbes of people that respond and don't respond to these drugs, and that's the difference between life and death. So uh, these are drugs that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars as well. So it's a no-brainer that, you know, that for that for the oncologist that's probably the most important thing they should be looking at
0: mm, interesting to your point i think there is you're right about patients sometimes being more educated on the new science than the doctors um especially patients that are health proactive or really are all are you know well educated or like are looking to optimize their health um i think when they go to a physician they're often disappointed because we're so we're so entrenched in sick care and you know people that are really sick and getting them you know doing acute care medicine and and just felt like you know it's like we're not we haven't been trained to work on health optimization and getting people to learn about their microbiome or their genetic risk factors or all this new science that's coming out there's a huge disconnect it's like we're it's like there's almost two different medicines going on or like healthcare is going on where it's like we're trained in sick care, but then science in the world is moving in this direction of optimizing our health and uh, microbiome and all of these new discoveries that we're just not able to keep up with on the other side of things. So you get a patient who is, hey, doc, you know, like I just read this new article and there's this new technology and there's this new research. I really think my microbiome might be something I want to look into. And then we're like, uh, you know, we don't really know too much about that. I don't know if there's a lot of evidence. Uh, we're not caught up and, uh, there is, I do feel that disconnect at times. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, being in primary care.
1: Well, you're not alone. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's a general, um, problem in the, in the whole field, you know, which doctors are still trained with tablets and, and that's what we're very good at and side effects of drugs and that's the solution when someone comes and says well you know what kind of exercise should i have you know would you suggest a certain meditation technique or you know what do you think about uh, ketogenic diets uh, most doctors go blank and, and start saying well you, you know look it up on the internet or I'll refer you to, <laughs> I'll refer you to someone uh, but well, you know it's embarrassing because we should all know this stuff uh and the other problem is i guess is that a lot of medics get a bit burnt out and they don't want to come home and read stuff in the evening i don't know if you feel that's similar uh but yeah, you just know, say yeah. my brain is full <laughs> I, you know and, and you said there's this guy tim specter he's got these these books on nutrition you say i don't I, I can't be bothered with any more work i just want to you know uh go for a, a run or something, you know, and, and so you don't have time to get yourself up to speed on it. And hopefully things like podcasts that people can listen to in the car like this one, you know, can inform busy healthcare people to 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 know and know how vital it is not only for you know their interaction with patients, so you can give them better advice, but also you know for their health. Um, we all come to a point. In our own health as I did, where suddenly you know you you switch from being super healthy, invincible to hey, I need all these tablets so that uh you know I, I, t- I thought I might only my patients took. I you know I must be getting old. And um yeah then you start to look into it so well, why didn't I look to this a bit earlier? You know why 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 wait wait till I'm um, I'm sick. So yeah um it, it's a common problem in, in medics, but I do think we we do need to take the time out to do more of this and um, look at all these things that we were and realize how deficient our training was, even in medical school, but often in specialties. I've met many people in, in gastro and diabetes who know absolutely nothing about nutrition and their their patients yeah. are much more likely to get advice from their patients. Uh, their personal trainer yeah. than their specialist uh, <laughs> at the hospital.
0: Yeah. It's really an interesting phenomenon uh, because, because like you said, information is at our fingertips, podcasts, uh, you know, um, people, health enthusiasts, people uh, who who are doing new research, who have platforms, they have, you know, people are educated in the new science more than their doctors and some doctors, you know, like if they're interested for their own health reasons or learning about this stuff, some like for me, it's more like I'm learning because I'm really interested in my own body and I'm trying to figure out how I can be as healthy as I can be. So I learn about some of this stuff, but um, I still, I'm like, "Hmm, I kind of want to see a doctor that knows a little bit more about this, but good luck. you good luck finding one. (laughs) Yeah, Uh,
1: I think everyone has got to, in a way, you know the best person to do this is yourself. Uh, and the best person is going to know about you is yourself. And I think now we've got this combination of these technologies that, you know, the invention of the continuous glucose monitor, the invention of uh, dry blood spots that can measure, you know, hundreds of metabolites, the mm-hmm. combination of that with uh, really detailed metagenome sequencing of your gut microbes and looking at them, also metabolites, Putting that together with artificial intelligence and apps is mind-blowing, really, what it can do. And so, I mean, I've I've noticed that when you know this only this idea only comes home to people when they can actually see what's happening in real time in their own bodies. And so, the you know the tests we're doing and predict it's called the predict studies, but with a company Zoe, when you when you get that glucose monitor stuck on your arm for the first time and you start you eat a bagel and you think, oh, that's coming bad. And suddenly you see your, your glucose spiking in real time. You you suddenly get that real connection uh, yeah. between you know, what you're putting in and what's happening. And I think this is a real wake-up call for everybody that they can start to see these metabolic changes. And that, you know, if, if I gave the same glucose monitor to my wife as I did and I gave her the bagel and she didn't get a, a spike, I was really upset. But it did break, <laughs> but it, you know, because um, I like bagels, but I, I, I went into the diabetic range with one, whereas she didn't, and so, you know, I, I've changed my breakfast accordingly, and so, that everyone can do that, and and once you start doing that, you start being your own lab, you know, your own experimenter, and you can do it in a fun way without it being um, depressing, because you know all my books are about people trying different things and trying a diverse range of foods and getting out of that rut and we've you know we can be as well educated as you like uh, but all of us particularly in the medical profession have had so long the hospital canteen or you know the rushed sandwich or you know the the Krispy Kremes or, or whatever the, the you know the donuts that are that are uh, on the table uh, during the the seminar and so it's very hard to change but it's really important you realize once you take that what you thought was your rushed healthy hospital lunch and test it you realize how often bad it is for you and that and that insight I think is is really empowering people realizing they can do something about it and they don't have to just follow some you know, calorie restricted eating diet or, uh, you know,
0: yeah.
1: I have to be carnivore, I have to be ketogenic. I can actually work out what really makes sense for myself. And, and I think that I is that. a real uh, key moment.
0: Yeah. I'm a huge fan of continuous glucose monitors for the fact that, like you mentioned, it's like you can see in real time, how you're being affected by certain foods And how your body reacts to, like, a bagel. Like, for example, I may have a huge spike to, uh, uh, you know, a bagel or with cream cheese or something. And the person sitting next to me may have the same exact bagel, and they may not get the same huge spike. And that variance uh, between our genetics, between our how, how our bodies personally react to different kinds of foods, is hugely insightful for us on a personal level. And when you see that, like when you're looking at the way your body is responding and you see it in front of you, all of a sudden you've like, it's not so obscure anymore. It's, it's right in front of you. And that's why I love, I, I'm a huge, huge fan of continuous glucose monitoring. I'm so disappointed in our healthcare system with how we treat diabetes um, and, how we, and how we haven't adopted this incredible technology. You know, it, that alone, that insight that a patient can just see in real time where they're at, even if they're not a type one diabetic, even if they're just, you know, they have type two diabetes, they've got a borderline a one C still keeping a tight, you know, having that insight of where you're at all the time and how your body's responding to certain foods will make you be more conscious of what you're going to put into your body and how your body responds to a certain kind of protein or a carbohydrate or fats all of that's relevant. Yeah. It's it's part of the learning process and how you're going to take control of your own health. Yeah. And I think that's,
1: you know, every health professional should probably do this. And just like, you know, I, I advised everyone to, you know, get a genetic or ancestry test so you understood the information and how to, the, you know, you could convey it. You know, I think uh, everyone should get hold of uh, these, you know, these tests, go on the the Join Zoe website and you know sign up and then you you can understand then you can relate it to other people and start to go on this you know it's a journey it's not like you instantly know exactly what I'm going to eat for the rest of your life but it, it just shows you you got you've got much more choice than perhaps you thought and not only what you eat but also how you eat uh, whether you should be uh, someone who should eat most of their meals in the morning. Or the evening, Are you you know, because uh, as I go on in the book, you know, a lot of these myths have no basis in science about whether, for example, you should, we were told breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It's not for most people, it's for some. (laughs) Um, The data that we should be grazing, not gorging, if you remember that, you were probably taught that as well comes from a 30 year old paper in the New England Journal of Medicine based on nine students. Um, you know, when you go back and you, you look, you know, it's just it's just nonsense, this stuff. that mm-hmm. uh, Because it's been so underfunded, this whole area, it's allowed mm-hmm. these myths to come out and we, you know, have our own culture. And, you know, in the US, the average person has six meals a day. They're mm-hmm. called, or meal events anyway. And that's really not how we were designed To be so we're constantly peaking and stressing our our body in terms of our metabolism. So I think it's also the realization that you can change some of these things. You can look at restricted time eating, occasional, you know, intermittent fasting, skipping meals, changing what you know, your sleeping patterns, which also affect how you metabolize food. Some people exercise when they exercise, they're better off doing it before food, some after food. These are all things that you can find out for yourselves once you've got, you know, this, these, these, this toolkit, and uh, you know, I, I found that that amazing, really, because there's nothing, but you know, you can read in textbooks that really helps you, because it just says, on average, you know, I'm supposed to consume two and a half thousand calories, and on average, I should sleep, you know, eight hours on on average. Um, uh, you know, I'm I'm best off eating a big breakfast and a small dinner. You know, it's it's based on nothing except often now it's based on what the marketing needs of the food companies are trying to sell us healthy snacks and Cheerios and uh, healthy,
0: healthy
1: snacks. <laughs> but, you know. But, uh, they're all labeled as healthy because they've got high in protein or, you know, uh, they've got some synthetic fiber in it or other stuff, rubbish. So I I just think we, you know, and that's the the marketing budgets are massive, you know, and uh, if only 1% of it went on decent food research, uh, you know, we could crack it.
0: Yeah. There's so many ways to, to bifurcate on this subject. And I think, um, I think the theme here and what I'm getting is that, you know, like we're all uniquely different and our bodies respond differently to, to all sorts of things, specifically foods. Um, and we're, we're going towards a more personalized medicine approach where the individual, everybody, you know, this whole idea of average on average, you know, this is what you need, what you need, what you need. Um, I think like it's important from what I'm getting from this and from what I've been also realizing on my own is that we need to look at everybody individually to find out what their needs are and what works well for their particular bodies. And now there's way to, now there, now there's ways to track that, to test yourself, to know what works for you, to look at your genetic history, uh, to look at your, you know, biomarkers and to look at, you know, your body composition and all these different ways to have a more to have more insight into your own personal makeup and what works right for you. So right now, where do you see this whole where do you see this whole movement going with this personalized medicine idea in terms of like microbiome, in terms of, you know, continuous glucose monitoring, in terms of how your body responds to different things? What are the you know what's the path forward that you see right now in this kind of in this realm?
1: Well, I see the technology is continuing to advance. First of all, so um, what is now a a glucose monitor you stick on your arm and needs a physician's uh, uh, prescription will I think become part of future smartwatches, and I'm you know the rumors that Apple and Samsung are already doing this so that just like you get your sleep recorded, you, you'll you probably find a way of getting your, your glucose recorded. Now, I don't know whether that's going to take five years or um, uh, two years or 10 years, but that's definitely coming. And once that goes, then suddenly, you know, it's going to be like heart rate. You know, it's going to be – everyone will want to know it. And so all foods will be rated around – um, how quickly it pushes your sugar up, and that's going to really shift the the food business. Uh, and they'll be devising ways of, you know, eat, making that junk food not be as bad on your on your glucose monitor as it would otherwise yeah. be. They'll find ways to do it, but I'm sure they'll find ways
0: to manipulate it.
1: Probably, yes, uh, you know, and, <laughs> but uh, you know, because. You know, in the US, 60% of meals are ultra processed, and that's getting worse. So that's still going to happen. But I think people will get their microbiomes tested routinely, like they have their blood pressure done. Um, the, the price of metagenome sequencing has come right down from uh, you know, $10,000 uh, five years ago to uh, you know just over $100 now. Uh, so, this you can do this at scale, and obviously, you know, you can force that further down. Computing the power, you know, is all available. So, you've now got apps that can, in real time, look at what you're eating. You can take photos of them, of your food. You get a score that is suitable for you. It can be put into a, a meal plan. These things already exist. So, I think we're going to see an explosion. Uh, in people testing themselves, driven from the bottom up, so it's you know it's going to be the biohackers initially, uh, interested medics, um, the personal trainers, the dieticians, whatever, driving this revolution. But the companies will realize it's it's coming fast, and they they are already uh, talking about per- personalized approaches. Most of the big food companies have personalized meds, uh, nutrition divisions that they've set up. So they know that they're gonna to have to adjust uh, their foods for people that might have tested, done a, a fat uh, a triglyceride uh, blood test, or they've done a, a glucose tolerance test and they can uh, tailor things to them. So these things are happening as well as gearing up for what you look at food and say, what's the um, microbiome index of this food? Is it gonna, you know, And that we can already do that as part of some of our questionnaires, but hasn't been done for food systematically. So people will perhaps start choosing foods. But the only way to do this, because it's actually really complicated, is through an app. So the same way you use your app now um, rather than your phone to get a cab for Uber or Lyft, uh, your your food choices in a supermarket are going to be done by, by an app. Because the one thing nutrition isn't, and personalized nutrition. It isn't simple. You know, there are some general rules you can do to keep your health healthy for your gut microbiome, but ultimately we need the technology. And I think that's the other uh, message that we're going to get even more attached to our phones that will be our, you know, personal maitre d' uh, telling us what what to eat or what in the fridge we can combine together to give us the best um, foods to eat. But... Hopefully it won't take away our fun of eating because I'm a big fan of uh, eating for pleasure and diversifying, not restricting what we eat. And everything that in- incorporates the microbes means that's good because if you can have more than 30 different plants a week, whatever else you do, your gut is going to be really healthy. And that means that we should all be experimenting with food, not going down some narrow restrictive uh, path some guru has said is that is the right way so diversity is all pleasure is is everything and if we stick to really good whole foods uh, we can't go too far wrong
0: yeah no i agree with that i think that i think that the individual i think this is just a revolution of the individuals kind of taking hold of taking hold of your own health whether whether you be a doctor or a patient or anybody i think there's this huge new um response maybe not responsibility, but I'd say uh, I'd say kind of potential to learn about yourself um, and take control of your health that you know I don't think any doctor can really can really offer you everything that you want to know about your body in terms of like the new advancements and the new research and and so like there is an ownership part to this and i think that the future of medicine is people really going to be like taking ownership of their health and taking ownership to really figure things out on their own through the resources that we have available whether that be apps whether that be new technology um, you know we're so up to date now we're so like hammered with information podcasts google has every answer um it's just really like we're we're living in a new world even 20 years ago like a patient comes to your to your office they don't know anything about their health like they don't know like they haven't googled all their symptoms they haven't like figured it out they haven't read whatever articles like they're coming to you because they don't they're clueless they don't know how their body works they don't know what's going on so they're coming to the doctor for answers but now it's like your patients are walking into your room at least you know, not, you know, there's different levels of health literacy, but like, and well educated educated patients that's done their research, like a lot of them just, they know so much, you know, like that you can't, it's like, it's like, you can't keep up with it. And I think that's the new, that's the, that era where we're going to be moving into, where people are really just taking control of their health. Yeah. And but technology it'll is going to be, be It would be sad if the health professionals, professionals.
1: know didn't have some role in this and we otherwise will get left behind so i do think we do need to well we have to adapt yeah and and be guides in the in 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 our patients journeys you know so uh they are someone you know we are someone they can ask without uh us ridiculing them for for doing something but you can say well you know we should inform ourselves what are you know the genetic tests out there what are these these other ones what if you're going to get your microbiome tested you know which company do you trust you know i do think this should be part of our training really not necessarily to know all the detail but at least uh, offer some general advice and, and and which means probably doing these a lot of these tests ourselves so that we understand yeah. it and we're not um, so arrogant as to feel that well you know uh, this is all rub- it's just because it's on the internet it's rubbish which there, there is a general uh, there's a group of people that still feel that way, but if it 's not done in a hospital approved lab it it it, it doesn 't count and that 's not where the new that 's not where the new technology is coming we know that it takes years and years to get through the clinical system but you can get rounded in the us by just calling it a a wellness product and some of them are rubbish but some of them are cutting edge science that 's you know is five years ahead of what you're going to see in the clinic, and I think medics and you know need to play a role in in, in steering people towards the, the the right paths.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a responsibility for 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 the healthcare providers to stay up to date um, and not get left behind in this world that's evolving so fast. Um, and it's uh, you know it's not easy to do that, especially with the current practice of medicine doctors really not having too much time to do anything other than uh, just kind of scrape by it in, in this current healthcare culture nope. <laughs> um, yeah no one said it know, was like, easy
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. and I uh, I don't see I don't see that many patients anymore so I've got I've got the time to read read things so uh, take out sabbatical is what I advise anyone to do yeah
0: well I think that's I think who knows how medicine will change. I think that doctors, I think some, yeah, I think there is a growing movement where there's people, you know, kind of moving into uh, different practice roles where they're able to see less patients and provide them higher quality care. And that, I think that, I think that movement will contribute to allowing for more intake of these uh, new sciences and new technologies that are coming out that are really going to advance medicine. I think healthcare is just so slow to adopt to anything that's new it's like, we're just stuck in 19th century and we're trying to figure out how to, you know, just adopt CGM, just CGM, which has been around for God knows how many years. Like, why have we not adopted this yet? <laughs>
1: um, yeah, because it's, it's restricted, you know, and you need a prescription and, you know, um, so it actually end up, that, you know, doctors have less exposure to it than, than many, many of the public. And that's, uh, that's going to be a bit sad. So that's, anyway it's out there. So I think it's a super exciting time and uh you know treat it as a hobby not as work and just say okay let's forget patients for a bit let's discover about yourself and uh you know if you do that you will be of help to your patients. You'll be able to relate to them and the sort of things that they the questions they've got and I think that's that's perhaps the way we should do this and then we won't feel uh we're just drowning in work and uh Keep our own bodies as a, as a hobby, you know, a work in progress.
0: Yeah, that's a great takeaway, you know. Um, so let, let's say that. Let's say I want to experiment on myself right now, and I want to learn a little bit more about my makeup and, you know, my microbiome and all of these things. What can I do? What are some steps I can take right now to, you know, gain that insight?
1: Well, read my two books uh, is the obvious plug. Um, Spoon Fed and The Diet Myth. And okay. that often tells you where, you know, in a way, what's gone wrong. And it also tells you about your, um, the gut micro, an introduction to the gut microbiome. Then I, I think the next thing is to go on and try one of these, these companies uh, doing personalized nutrition where you do a home experiment yourself over 10 days. And it's a three month package and you get to understand about, glucose peaks your triglyceride levels inflammation levels and you get a metagenome report and you can do that by going onto the joinzoe.com website and uh, there's a a wait list but it's not too long at the moment and that's to be honest often that's the best way to understand these things is to do it yourself comes with all kinds of information uh, and you can always find out more about it and I think they're the real ways uh, I would go about it, uh, but of course, you know, and learn more about how to feed your gut microbes and uh, and the best forms of diet and
0: those so those tips are in my
1: in my books as well. Okay, in Zoe,
0: so what are the services that you would get through Zoe? Like, which what are they specifically? Just just for my own kind of takeaway.
1: The the current plan is you get a home testing kit sent to you where you would get uh, blood spot testing. Um, you, you would get uh, a series of standardized muffins that we've given to like 10,000 people. So everyone's eating the same meals and mm-hmm. you get a glucose monitor, uh, a way of reading that glucose monitor. You get um, some tests for your, Postprandial fat levels to see how your body responds to fat. The glucose monitor will tell you how your body responds to carbs, and you get uh, a gut microbiome for whole sequencing—not not just the 16S, which is the old-fashioned one—but it's the whole sequencing of your gut microbes to compare against other people. And this will tell you whether you have uh, what your ratio of good and bad bugs is, and we've. We published in Nature Medicine in January, these 15 good and 15 bad guys, everyone has a different ratio and you can see how your general health is and then we give you some tips on how to build them up, uh, how they get the better ratio. And then of course, at the end of all this, we put it together and give you individualized food scores so you can rank uh, whether, you know, you should be eating a, a bagel or a donut uh, at coffee and how often, uh, compared to other similar uh, foods, and give you give you that choice without saying you can never have it or whatever. I just say, well, this this is not particularly good given your your sugar metabolism. And and then most people do this, and it's like a three month package. Most people then go on and do follow that diet, looking at their scores for four weeks, and so far nearly everybody is reporting losing weight getting better energy uh, and generally feeling better and that's that's the plan but it's it's we believe it's sustainable long term because it's it's not restricting people what they eat they can still choose pretty much any foods or any time of eating that they that suits them it's just okay
0: so basically, small so basically you get so basically you get this kit it evaluates you on all of these different uh, in all these different areas you you um, get post you you have a standardized way of there's a muffin you said or something where you eat it you get your postprandial levels you see how your body responds and then there's a then there's some guidance offered on how to adjust based on that information Is yes, that right that's right okay and then you keep tracking your you keep tracking these things over time and seeing how you're responding to different things. So it's essentially like experimental.
1: Yes. Everyone's on a, on an experimental journey, but the nice thing is all the data is shared. So we get the collective responses of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people, which allows Mm -hmm. us to pick out using AI, you know, the food combinations that uh, are best for you. So it's because food is complex. It's very hard just in 50 people to work out what's going on. So we needed a minimum of a thousand to get going. And that's what we did. We That's what we published on the first thousand. But now we've got uh, 5,000 or more. It gets, it's getting better all the time. And people would then repeat their tests at say six months to see whether having done this, as well as, you know, what they can measure like weight and when they feel better, they can actually see some differences in their the way they process carbs or fats or uh, has this have they changed their good to bad uh, bug ratio. So that, that's really it. But the whole idea really is to interest people in this idea of self-determinism and increasing the range and diversity of what they eat. So it's absolutely not a restrictive. It doesn't do calorie counting at all. And uh, it, it's really just saying to you, Really focus on the quality of what you're eating. Don't just stick it in your mouth. Uh, you know, pay much more attention. And that's really a big thing in 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 US and, and British culture is we just don't spend enough attention on this. We've been diverted by, you know, stickers on low-cal, on uh, low-fat, and this kind of nonsense. So I, you know, recommend people try it. You should go and try it and uh, give us your feedback and uh, see how you get on. Yeah. It's a, a, lo- a local, a lo- it's all coming coming out from Boston, all this stuff. So, um, yeah, no,
0: I'm, I'm very guys, curious. I'm, general. I'm about to hop on the site as soon as we're done here. Um, great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Spector. Um, where can people connect with you, um, follow you on social media, and where can they buy your book, uh, Spoonfed? Um, and the other one was The Diet. The Diet. Uh, I believe you said it. Yeah. So, um, okay.
1: The, the books are both uh, available, mainly on the online retailers. Um, the the big one, the, the one that begins with A, is the uh, the one where most people will go. But if you go to uh, other ones, they, sh- they should be able to get it for you. In the US, uh, Spoonfed and Diet Myth. And follow me on Instagram, tim.specter and Twitter, uh, Tim Spectre. Uh, and uh, I'm... If they're interested in COVID, of course, uh, you can also download the uh, Zoe uh, COVID symptom study app in the US on uh, Apple or Android and get the latest updates in your your area about COVID. So plenty of stuff to do. And the website uh, where you get all the information, you get on the wait list uh, for uh, this self-experimentation pack is joinzoe.com and plenty of information and blogs on there about nutrition to keep the most uh, insomniac uh, awake all night.
0: Great. Um, So we'll link all of that in the show notes. Uh, Dr. Spector, thank you so much. Um, It's been a really insightful conversation for me personally, and I'm definitely going to check out Zoe uh, just because I'm, you know, highly curious now um, just for my own for my own sake um, so i encourage everybody to uh follow those links in the show notes follow dr specter online on social media and uh thanks again dr specter really appreciated you taking the time today my wow. pleasure